You're listening to the CLE Foodcast with Lisa Sands, the place for delicious conversation on local food and the people who grow, cook, and share it. Here's Lisa. Thanks, Bill. A few years ago, I was looking for a standing rib roast, a large and expensive cut of meat that I didn't know much about. But I knew one thing, that I couldn't afford to mess it up. A friend of mine told me I needed to go to Mr. Brisket, a standalone butcher shop in Cleveland Heights. Since then, it's been my go-to meat shop, and they've never steered me wrong. Hank Kornblatt runs the nearly 50-year-old store that was originally opened by his stepfather, Sanford, who was the original Mr. Brisket. As summer nights turn cool and the early mornings grow darker, we know that fall is near. I'm working with the Ashtabula County Visitors Bureau to share all kinds of experiences that make for the perfect day or weekend getaway in my very favorite season. Ashtabula County really does have it all. A vibrant lakeside nightlife on Bridge Street, a covered bridge trail, breezy beaches, picturesque wineries, and so much more. Join me in September as I bring you a podcast episode all about Ashtabula in partnership with a team at the Ashtabula County Visitors Bureau. Get a jump on your planning now at visitashtabulacounty.com and follow my socials for the details on my own upcoming Ashtabula getaway. Back to today's show, Mr. Brisket will celebrate 50 years in 2024. So let's get the scoop on its origins, why everyone should have their own go-to quality butcher, and how Mr. Brisket has made a mark in national barbecue competitions across the United States. Hank, thanks so much for being on the CLE Foodcast. How's it going today? It's going great. You have a lot of big boxes here in the front of Mr. Brisket. Uh, we're here on Taylor Road in your shop. It's actually a day off, but I'm, I'm looking around and it does not look like you're having a day off. So what's going on here? It's a day off in that we're closed to the public, but it's not a day off. There's always some work to do. Um, what's going on specifically right now is we are um, getting orders together that we're shipping out of town. We sell a lot of product to people um, who do competition barbecue. If you see Michael Simon's show, Barbecue USA, if you watch Barbecue Pitmasters, any of these shows, those are our people. And they buy briskets, Wagyu briskets. They buy uh, trimmed chicken thighs. They buy Wichita packing competition spare ribs. They buy pork collars. Uh, We pack it up in styrofoam boxes. We weigh the box. We make a label and we ship it off. That's what I'm seeing right now. And uh, so do you have to take these somewhere? Does does the post office come? What happens to them? My friends at UPS send a truck. Okay. And are they packed in, is that dry ice? There is dry ice involved, sometimes chill packs. Um, Okay. Everything, those boxes are packed pretty tight. You got to there's a process to it. I won't bore you with the details. Where where are these going? Where, what's the farthest you ship to? Today, Wamego, Kansas, and Keller, Texas. Wow. Okay, so here's my question. Kansas and Texas, uh, big meat states. Why are they getting Mr. Brisket meats? Isn't that a good question? Right? I think you want so me to ask that question. Th- there's, there's a number of answers to that. We'll start with the guy with the bald head standing over in that corner putting these shipments together. That's Aaron. And Aaron is very good on social media. He's also experienced um, in the world of competition barbecue. He's done that. He's on, uh, on various social media platforms talking to these guys. And he talks about things that we offer. And he's created new products, um, including the competition barbecue package, where they buy all four meats for a competition from us at once. So uh, primarily social media, it's word of mouth. 
you know, that's the short story. So that's what I thought, because right. I've shopped here and I see Aaron in here, but I also follow Go Big or Go Barbecue, right. and, and I am aware of Aaron's uh, focus on competition barbecue. So you sell some of his products here. I've actually bought the rub and the uh, barbecue sauce. It's really, really good. So wait a second. I'm not sure we answered this question. You're out there promoting Mr. Brisket Meats, but why again is someone from Kansas or Texas purchasing meat here as opposed to right in their home state? Believe it or not, there aren't a lot of people out there doing everything that we're doing in terms of what we're offering a competition barbecue customer. Someone who's doing a contest is paying a significant amount of money for an entry fee. And then they're gonna need a brisket, they're gonna need ribs, they're gonna need what's called a, they're gonna need a pork butter, they're gonna need what's called a pork collar, which has something called the money muscle in it, and they're gonna need chicken, whether it's thighs, whether it's drumsticks in Texas, they like uh, spatchcock chickens for, for competition. So what we did was put together a package where they can buy all these items from one purveyor. It saves them on ship costs, and if they like the products, it just it makes it a lot easier. And also, we're doing some of the labor that they would normally have to do. We're saving them time. Okay. So that's one of the reasons. The longer answer is I've been selling Wagyu briskets since for about almost 10 years now. You know you guys. sold one to me about a month ago. Yes, it I was did. That's right. It was exquisite. Thank you. Um, I got started in the competition barbecue realm around 2014. Um, there was a guy named John Gamble. He lives in Lebanon, Ohio. He was in the IP, IT business, and he was doing a lot of barbecue competition. He found me online. If you do a Google search of USDA Prime Brisket, I come up on the first page. I don't know how this happens. I, people tell me I should be paying tens of thousands of dollars for this. I come up. He found me. He started buying briskets for me. He liked me. And he basically taught me the ins and outs of selling brisket, just brisket to guys that were doing competition barbecue. Well, that makes perfect sense, given that you're Mr. Brisket. Right. But the origins of this business were quite different, and we're going to revisit that shortly. Your competition bundles uh, that you were just describing, those are available to anybody. I, I could buy one today. Yeah, you could order one today. I could order it, it one today. It takes a little effort, so <laughs> yes, you could. If you wanted to, we'd be happy to do it, sure. Okay, and in these competitions... Uh, it's, I, I don't know a lot about them. I thought the competitions would be kind of singular, like a chili cook-off, a brisket cook-off. But are you telling me that some of these competitions, they have to cook all of these items, and that's why these bundles work really well for these people? Exactly. There's an organization called the KCBS, the Kansas City Barbecue Society, and they are the governing, governing body for what are called KCBS competitions. And if you do a KCBS competition and they're very popular and they're all over the country, you have to cook four meats. Like if you watch a TV show like Pitmasters, it's a setup. Okay, today we're going to do, you know, two items. We're going to do a lamb shoulder and we're going to do, you know, beef rib. Okay? okay. But that's not what a KCBS competition's like. They, they go, they'll drive somewhere, they'll get there. You'll have like 40 to 50 guys with big bellies and, and they've got trucks and they're pulling smokers and, you know, they spend the night in parking lots 
and they uh, cook meat all night. Yeah, because they're not using like sort of the wimpy smoker, the pellet smoker that I have in my backyard. I which, have the same wimpy smoker, well, and I love it. And, it, it and you're works, correct. It works great. Right. It's good for a backyard right. patio in right. you know northeast Ohio. But this is the real deal. Like where they're these are like those big oil drums. They, they're and a lot of times they're custom made, yes. right? They are. I love seeing that, and um, I've only had a chance to eat, I think, that kind of barbecue a couple of times in my life. But I will say, though, that anything I purchase here, you're kind of our go-to place for anything. If my husband says, I think we want to smoke this weekend or next weekend, because it's like, you know, you got to plan it out. Uh, you got to plan your um, activity around the smoking of the meat on a particular day. Uh, we know that we're going to come here. Mr. Brisket is still a boutique butcher shop. That's still, that is our first focus. We are a premium quality purveyor of, of, you know, fine meats in Northeast Ohio. That was what my stepdad did. That's how Mr. Brisket got started. That's still the, you know, the first pillar of the business. You know, I've probably known about you for about 10 years, but you've, you've really been in existence, I think around 40. And you know, it's 49. all like 49. Yeah, since 1974. Amazing. Okay, yeah. so Mr. Brisket, founded by Sanford Herskovitz. That's correct. The founding of Mr. Brisket at the time, it sounded like uh, your father-in-law realized there just wasn't a a custom quality butcher, you know, in this area. I, I feel like initially it might have been devised to serve maybe like the 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 East Side Jewish communities with with meats. And then it expanded from there. That's a pretty good uh, surmise of, of the situation. Okay. Sanford took over a... He married my mom. He's, okay. So um, he's not my father-in-law, but that's something people say all the time. Oh, I, sorry my, about that's, that. It's quite all right. But my response to that is I just couldn't imagine marrying someone who looked like him. My wife's a lot prettier. Wait, wait. Let me get this right. Yeah. He's your... Stepdad. Stepdad. Right. Not father-in-law. That's right. I stand so corrected. So he married my mom. Got and it. He had a PhD in, in psychology and he couldn't find a job. His father had recently passed away and his father and mother had a fresh poultry, um, basically a small mom and pop grocery store in Cleveland, Ohio, near Antioch Baptist Church. Mm -hmm. And she had a few wholesale accounts and she was still servicing them even though they had closed the store. And she said to Sanford, why don't you take over these accounts. And he was selling a soul food restaurant called Juanita's, among other things. And um, what he was doing was he would go downtown and he was going to meet purveyors in Cleveland and he was buying product and then selling product to these to his, his couple restaurants and he started asking questions. And he was always a foodie at heart. He was, you know, passionate about quality meats and he liked to cook. So he started buying stuff and having people over for dinner parties, and this segued into him selling meat to friends, and then it became a bigger and bigger thing. So when I come here, I often think about the name of the shop. I, it's, it's called Mr. Brisket, and then I think about the founder, Sanford Herskovitz, and I wonder, you know, <laughs> first of all, I want to know where he got the name, and was he kind of like Mr. Brisket himself? Was he, was he Mr. Brisket, or... Tell me that connection. Yeah, he was, I mean, he is Mr. Brisket. He I've is never Mr. felt, Brisket. you know, people ask me now if I'm Mr. Brisket, and I go, well, by default. But, you know, when you think of Mr. Brisket, you think of my stepdad. My stepdad um, started the business um, in 1974, and he was, you know, 
the first guy in this area selling premium quality meats. If you think back to what it, supermarkets were like at that time, you know, and local butcher shops, no one sold anything that had any quality. No one thought anyone was willing to pay for quality. You know, back then, Heinen's was Heinen's. They were nothing special back then. You know, you had some stop and shops. Russo Brothers hadn't even started their supermarkets yet on Cedar Hill and at Fairmount Circle. And those were the first supermarkets in the area to sort of cater to higher end clientele who were looking for, you know. Custom butchered meats and right, things like and, that. And just, you know, good wine, good cheese, you know, that sort of thing. But in the meantime, so Sanford got going with this business and he was selling um, locally on the east side of Cleveland primarily. We did have some west side business and everything was custom cut here at the store. And then he, we would deliver to people in their homes and that was it. No one came here. Everything was home delivery. That's the picture on the website. Okay, now that's so different than the model that you have here because you're drawing people, people like myself that are driving, you know, 30 minutes to get here because of what you do. Why that change? When did you guys realize that this was a destination, you know, shopping experience? Well, everything evolves. Um, the, you know, the history of Mr. Brisket, like many businesses, is one where you're doing something and it's working till it's not. You know, the, the butcher shop home delivery thing did very well in the 70s and in the 80s and the 90s it started to slow down and again a lot of this is due you had all of a sudden you had supermarkets reinvent themselves they had suddenly they they paid attention to how they were presenting themselves in terms of um their their presentation and you had um uh, we, we had the rise in eventually, you know, wholesale clubs, and Mr. Brisket had to figure out what to do. Also, when my stepdad started this business, he had quite a bit of wholesale business, and wholesale business comes and goes. You know, mm -hmm. you can sell people for years, and suddenly they don't buy from you anymore, and if that's a huge part of your business, you have to figure out, how am I going to make this up? Mm -hmm. And um, in the early 2000s, right around the time I got married, and of course had little kids, the business was really struggling. You know, we were fortunate that we were able to um, remain open. Mm -hmm. And eventually we got lucky. The, the meat smoking craze started to hit. Uh, the food channel became a big thing. And that drew attention back towards us and the fact that we sold high quality food items. So let's make a comparison between the, the grocery store butcher and I know there are some great grocery stores in our area. At least I think there are. And I trust the meats. I, I, I like the product. But what do you see yourself as offering beyond that? Why would well, someone come into a Mr. Brisket, a standalone butcher shop? And we do have some other ones in Cleveland. But, I mean, this happens to be the one I'm most familiar with. Why do people make that choice? Why should they make that choice? If they want quality. Plain and simple. Also, the other thing is we're able to do things. You know, I, I turn on a dime. You can go to a grocery store and ask the meat department to do something special for you. But most everything you see at a grocery store has been pre-cut and it's laid out. Uh, I'll bring something up that I just think is funny. You can't buy a boneless skin on chicken breast anywhere in Cleveland, Ohio at a grocery store. They don't exist. Because it requires actual labor. You have to take a chicken and you have to take the breast and debone the breast but leave the skin on. Because these places buy boneless, skinless breasts in vacuum seal packages. But, um, and, or they buy bone in, but they don't have it boneless with the skin on. And the skins were the flavorous. And this is just talking about chicken. Um, I sell premium quality Wagyu beef. Um, 
you know, there's places around. Now, there's a couple places that have some Wagyu. But let's say you want a specific cut. Let's say you want it cut a certain way. Let's say you want a Wagyu ribeye cut for shabu shabu. You know, these are things that I'm doing for people that you're not going to get anywhere else. You know, back to your question about why, how did Mr. Brisket become a destination? Well, everyone does prepare foods now. Because if you didn't, you weren't going to make it. You needed, that's what people want. I mean, let's, we could talk about the West Side Market and, and how they just sort of blew it for years. Because that's what people want when they get there. They, yes. They, yes, they want to walk around and look at things, but they want to eat. And, you know, you got to have food offerings that are ready to go. And they got to be, you know, good. Mm-hmm. They don't have to be amazing, but they got to be good. Yeah. So, you know, we started doing deli sandwiches. But even before that, we started cooking brisket for people. And, and cooked brisket is still something we sell a lot of. We know how to do it well. It's tasty. It's easy. And, um, you know, that's, that's a part, big part of what we do. Yeah. What, what is the popularity of brisket? I mean, obviously, I, I, I feel like, and, and I, I want to I make sure I don't um, sound like stereotypical here, but like it sort of seems like there's foods, right, associated with certain cultures and cultural holidays. Um, anyone who knows someone, uh, maybe a, a, a friend uh, in the Jewish community, a Jewish grandma, knows that getting ready, especially work, the Jewish holidays, the big ones are coming up really, really soon, you're talking brisket. Um, but then I feel like brisket caught on as this, um, you know, smoker meat. So what is it about brisket that makes, is it like the perfect cut? Yes. <laughs> That's I mean, you summed it up very well, Lisa, and brisket was very popular in the Eastern European Jewish community, and of course it was a it was a holiday tradition, primarily because it tasted good and it was inexpensive, but it was simultaneously very popular down south or anywhere where people were smoking meats. We just weren't as aware of it. I used to have a, uh, a former Cleveland Brown named Cody Risen, I think was my first, one of our first meat smoking customers. And he used to come in here and buy Packer briskets. A Packer brisket is a brisket with a fat cap on it. Brisket's popular because it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just have to cook it right. Mm-hmm. And if you do, it tastes good. Even a, a mediocre brisket in terms of quality is still pretty good if you do a good job cooking it. And, and the secret is it's a slow cooking item, whether you smoke it all day or whether you, what, braise it, I yes. guess, for a yes. traditional brisket Absolutely. dinner. Absolutely. Okay. It's a slow cook item. And you also, we're in Cleveland. Cleveland, Ohio. Cleveland, Ohio is one of the corned beef capitals of the United States of America. We have excellent corned beef in Cleveland, and that's not something we should take for granted. There's a lot of places you go, and they don't have good corned beef. Um, there's a lot of places that don't have deli, period. And, and here you can go all sorts of places and get good corned beef. Um, I have excellent corned beef brisket and pastrami. If I might plug myself, I would say there are very few places in this country where you're going to get better deli meat than you're going to get at Mr. Brisket. I mean, um, but... The, the thing with brisket is you can, uh, it, it's very versatile. And also I, I brought up corned beef. I mean, a brisket that's brined like a pickle is a corned beef. And that's it. So brisket's always been popular in Cleveland, Ohio. Okay, if you take a cucumber and you brine it, you get a pickle. If you take a brisket and you brine it, you get a corned beef. That's all it is. I don't know why. I just never really, no, I never really no, thought about it. No one thinks about it, but I get asked all the time by people, wait, what's brisket? So really like every season is brisket season. I mean, like I'm thinking like we're getting into winter and you know, it's like that slow roasting season time and all that. But really you've been selling briskets for competitions. You've been selling them for smokers. 
Um, and then we pick up steam again in that late February uh, through St. Patty's Day window for more brisket because now we're pickling it and turning it into corned beef. Yeah. Um, actually, I'm going to say something here. I, I, this is a public service announcement. The absolute worst time of the year to get corned beef is St. Pat's Day. And the reason is there's so much corned beef being produced at once. You get a lot of low-quality briskets being turned into corned beef because if you're a corned beef purveyor, if you're some major brand of commercial corned beef, it's just not as good because there's just not enough briskets out there. So they're just taking anything and, uh, you know. Well, and people are only willing to pay so much for a corned beef sandwich. And um, I think that goes, like, food costs have changed you know, dramatically over the last, you know, five years or so. So you come in and um, not just here, you go in and you buy a corned beef sandwich somewhere, you know, you might be in the 16 17 $18 range for real. Like if, and, and, you, and I'm hoping that if I'm paying that, and I happen to believe that some of the local delis where I do pay that, I am getting a good product, but you can't really take it up from there, right? Um, so that, I, that makes perfect sense. It's kind of like when everybody rushes to have corned beef sandwiches on St. Patrick's Day, I also like to kind of just put out that public service announcement, which is, you know what? You can actually have it in a couple of days and it'll still taste really, really good. Or um, kind of like, you know, tacos and things for Cinco de Mayo. You don't have to eat Mexican food on Cinco de Mayo. You can have it any. And that's the beauty of living where we live. All of these things, we can have tacos one day, we can have uh, corned beef another day, and we can have amazing Asian food another day. It, it, it's all within our reach right here in Cleveland, which is one of the reasons why I love living here and why doing this podcast is so much fun because there's just an endless supply of topics and people making good food. I love it. Let's talk for a minute about Wagyu. Um, I, I, I heard about it years ago and it felt like this real delicacy, like it was just something that only really, really wealthy people ate. And then it just became more commonplace. I started to see it more and more when you and I were emailing a month ago and you said, well, I've got this Wagyu brisket. And what's, what was the first thing I asked you? What does it cost? Yeah, what's it kind of cost? That scared me. Right. And, um, but because I trust you, I knew you weren't going to steer me wrong. And I, I think I remember you saying that's, that's an Ohio Wagyu, right? Um, that particular one might have been. There's, there's a pretty big outfit called Sakura that, that produces in Ohio. But most of the business I'm doing is with Imperial Sakura was founded by a guy who used to work for Imperial. Um, Imperial is just who I have a relationship with, mm -hmm. and they have really excellent product. And I, every two to three weeks on a Monday, there's a semi that pulls up in front of my store at 7 a.m. And I, you know, get my workout for the next two weeks, unloading it and putting away Wagyu beef. You, here's the thing with Wagyu beef. Um, in Japan, they basically created new breeds of cattle. And they were known for their incredible tenderness and flavor. They were known for their in intense marbling. The fat is, is different. It's got the same characteristics as like fish oil. So it's actually good for you when you have pure Wagyu beef. Um, it, it's got all these healthy attributes, but it's so dense and so rich. It's a different product. Cattlemen and, and, and people in the food industry in, in the United States went to Japan and ate it and said, yeah, we like this. Uh, we want to do it in the United States, but we can't really do exactly what they're doing with these cattle. And it's a big mystery as to what they're doing precisely and how they're raised. And, you know, you're, no one's quite sure 
Well, maybe there are people who are quite sure. I'm not quite sure. Well, it has what, to do, right, with the, not only the cattle's diet, but also the movement and yes. just a number yes. of factors. Yes, there's there's a lot of variables they've controlled, and, and it produces this amazing style of beef. Um, there's actually several different types of Wagyu. Wagyu literally means cow in Japanese. That's all it means. Did not know that. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, that's so... Yeah, is it is it, a, is it a fattier? Is it more marbled? Is it leaner? Tell me what the characteristics of Wagyu beef are. Dense marbling. Okay. Uh, just dense marbling. So in the United States now, what you have is Wagyu beef, but it's what's called American Wagyu. American Wagyu is a cross between Angus... And you have a crossbreed, okay? Um, and it's, it's with Angus cattle and, and Wagyu, and um, it has to be 50.001% Wagyu in order to be called Wagyu. That's, that's a USDA thing. And within Wagyu, there's still a lot of variation. I mean, there's, you know, not all Wagyu is densely marbled in this country. Some of it's, you know, looks like choice meat. You, you have to buy good Wagyu, and, and um, it, that's what's available. Now, currently, there is more Wagyu available, probably, than USDA Prime. USDA Prime is in short supply at the moment. Um, the big four meat processors in, in this country have decided they don't want to raise cattle that are going to produce USDA Prime beef because it costs too much. Mm. And this is one way they're keeping costs down. So you're seeing more choice meat and less prime. And, and that's interesting and difficult. At the same time, I am finding that I have more access to Wagyu beef than I've ever had. Mm. And that I'm selling more of it as a result. I used to sell a lot of prime briskets as well as Wagyu. Now I'm mostly directing people to buy Wagyu because it's very hard to get prime briskets at the moment and they're costly and I'd rather sell you Wagyu because I think for the most part they're a little better. Yeah, there's a lot of Wagyu on your website, mm-hmm. like uh, under yeah. the, sh- the shop portion. Right. I was noticing right. that today. Right. Give us a quick rundown of, of the difference between like prime and choice because I don't think a lot of people know this. Well, mar- again, marbling. Everything is marbling. That's all it is. Fat content. Interdigenous fat within the meat itself. Um, there are inspectors if you run a meat processing plant, let's say you're in Ohio, let's say you're in Nebraska, let's say you're in Iowa, and you have a meat processing plant that is, you know, has meat going all over the place, it has to be USDA inspected. Now, it doesn't, they don't have to inspect and then grade the meat, but typically you'll pay a little more to have the meat graded because then you can sell it for more money. Uh, uh, otherwise, it just will have a low grade. They'll take a look at a couple different portions of a, of a steer, and they'll decide based on what they're seeing. They have they have a formula they follow, and then they'll say this is prime, this is choice. Um, choice meat is a wide range of meat um, in terms of the marbling. It used to be more narrow. That changed in the 70s. Um, prime meat is uh, supposedly it's the top two percent. Um, but again, you know, there's variance. Uh, I, I see more variance now than I used to. Sometimes, you know, some prime meat is fabulous. Some you look at and you go, well, that's prime, I guess. Um, it got graded prime. You pay for it as prime and you sell it as prime. But again, it's all about marbling. Then there's USDA select, which is less fat. Why do you want fat and meat is the real question. And the answer is flavor, tenderness. They, the two go hand in hand. If The more fat you have, the more tenderness and flavor you have. So if you want the meat to taste good, you want more fat. Well, you certainly know your stuff. Um, so I'm going to ask you uh, a little question. Uh, you know, before I talk to anybody, I do some research. And, well, I didn't even have to dig very hard. Um, I always wanted to know, 
you know, your background and how you came to doing what you're doing. And I discovered that um, you actually have an English lit degree. That's correct. And I'm wondering how that happened. We were talking before we, you know, turned on the mics officially about our own children, making different choices, going different paths. First off, is that is that something that you do in your daily life now? Are you an are you an avid reader? Do you have an appreciation uh, for those things that you've studied, or is there just have your interest evolved and changed to, you know, the world of meat? Well, as a high school student, I had good grades. I had good test scores. Um, I, I my mom is an ex, is an exceedingly bright woman and and um, a writer and a teacher. And I, uh, you know, thought that maybe I wanted to be a writer of some sort. Um, But the truth is, when I went off to college, I just had no idea what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what I wanted to study. So I sort of ended up uh, majoring in English literature. And I wrote a lot of papers and, uh, you know, sat at a lot of typewriters drinking tab at 3 a.m., to compare and contrast, you know, Virginia Woolf with uh, Jane Austen. Um, I, I just, you know, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I came back to Cleveland after college. I wanted to coach high school wrestling, so I actually went over to Shaker Heights High School and got a job as an assistant wrestling coach. And I was working at Mr. Brisket part-time. I was working in some restaurants part-time. And I eventually met a woman and got married and... Uh, decide I need to pay more attention to the business. That was in 99. So that was, I sort of evolved into the Mr. Brisket business. It I was mean, yeah, not a, it wasn't something I wanted to do specifically. I like what I do now, but I didn't always. Well, what strikes me about a lot of small business owners is the universe of knowledge that they have, uh, the collective knowledge from all of the other things that they've done. Like, your social media, your marketing, your emails, um, even the salami for the troops, just the fact that you said, I think this is something we can really get behind. You thought about it. It's your way to give back. Um, You know, all of that. You use a lot of those skills every day. And frankly, a big part of what you do is talking to people. It's relationship building, right? hundred percent. That's everything. Mm -hmm. You, You know, you're always selling. I mean, that's it. You, when you talk to people, you are selling yourself, you're selling your business, you're selling your product, you're selling your services. And, and quite frankly, it's enjoyable. Every single day, I have challenges I have to solve. And it's puzzle, you know, so I'm like, it's, you know, what, what do I have to do today? And you're just on the spot and you're figuring things out as you go. I've, I certainly wasn't good at it when I started, but I learned as I went. I also had my stepdad as an example to follow. Um, for many years, and there were some things he did exceedingly well. He was a great salesman, he was a great talker, but at the same time, he, he didn't have enough foresight at times when it came to aspects of growing your business or evolving your business. He just wanted to do things the way that it had always worked for him, and that was where we sort of grinded gears, and eventually I was able to get him to understand that, you know, we, we can't just keep doing things the same way. We're going to end up just not in business mm-hmm. anymore. Well, it takes a certain amount of courage to start a business, uh, right? But then it takes, I, I think, a whole different skill set in some cases for that business to change and respond 
as you said, to the, the ways we communicate with each other, the ways things are marketed, you know, trends that you have to like be prepared for, like, you know, a year or two in advance sometime, you got to think about supply chain. I mean, it's not easy. It's actually a very, it's very complex. It is complex. Like, um, I know you have a relationship with Zach Brule, and you mentioned that your uh, son works for one of his restaurants. I mean, we used to do a lot of business. Mm -hmm. And I was always aware, if we lose that business, you know, I need to have a plan for what we're going to do. And I, you know, I Mm -hmm. was able to sort of um, increase our retail sales to a point where I, when where, when that happened, I was ready for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know, this is uh, you know, th- these are things that you deal with when you have uh, wholesale accounts. You have to be ready for, you know, they can become a big part of your business. If again, you have to be prepared. You know, retail meets tricky. Um, we have a fair amount of people that come in here to buy things. But it's not nearly as much as I would need to make a living at it if that was all I was doing. There's too much competition out there. Thanks, you know, thanks to Costco. Thanks to Costco. Listen, Costco owns the world. I call it the city of Costco. You can't fight them. Mm-hmm. You, you just you, you're never going to beat them. You know, one I'm lucky because there's people who really want to support small business, and especially in the Heights. And so for that reason, they'll they'll give you their time. They'll give you they'll put money in your pocket simply because they feel like that's something they should do. But no one should ever do that for a small business unless they're giving you good service. Mm-hmm. OK, mm-hmm. You, know, you have to earn that. You don't you know, that's that's how I feel. about yeah, it. Yeah, I like that you're saying that because I've had recently I mean, as recently as this weekend, some experiences where I've made that extra effort and after my food experience was over, I've sort of shook my head and said, man, I, that's not what I, that's not what I wanted to have happen. Nope. You know, Understand and every, completely. everybody's uh, entitled to a, a, you know, an occasional flub. Everybody falls short every now and then, but a good business owner, you know, kind of cares about what happens after it leaves the store. I think that's where the relationship piece comes in. Um, I do get disheartened though, uh, you know, people are talking about like, oh, they're doing a big family barbecue or whatever. And immediately it's like, well, I got to go to Costco. And yes, it has a place. And yes, some of us have an opportunity to say, I'm going to spend three, four, five, ten dollars $10 more on, you know, something I'm going to make this weekend. Some of us do not. So I guess I'm glad that Costco's there. But I'm just not certain that there aren't other very big costs to using Costco, right? And one of them is having small businesses that give back that can be generous to their communities, that can be a resource. It's, it, it's, it's all related. You know this as a small business owner. Yeah, I don't have to tell no, you that. I, you, everything you're saying is correct. It's a convenience factor. Sure. Whether it's a grocery store or whether it's a wholesale club, you're there and everything you want is often right there. Um, I, I think wholesale clubs are a little funny in that you, know, you have to buy larger quantities of things than you need, and that's where grocery stores win. But you know, if you're going to keep business, you have to earn it. You have to give service. Um, you know, you mentioned at the very beginning how we're, you know, packing up boxes and shipping stuff. One of the things I've had to do is deal with shipping mishaps. And they happen. And they happen a lot. Um, I'm with UPS currently, and they do a nice job. I used to be with FedEx. Um during COVID, shippers who were you know, ran into a lot of trouble. They just weren't ready for yeah. their businesses to change overnight the way that they did. Um, UPS eventually figured it out. FedEx never did. 
FedEx does a terrible job when it comes to shipping in general, and they used to be the industry standard, and I, I'm happy to say that because I, I am exceedingly angry with them. They took a lot of money from me mm-hmm. and without being able to give me service. And then I had to turn around and take care of my customers. If you ship something to someone and it's supposed to get there in one day and it's perishable and it gets there in four days and it's summer, it's ruined. Yeah. So what do you say to a customer? Do you say, oh, well, too bad, I'm sorry, their fault. Well, you know, you're never gonna have that business again. It's the wrong thing to do. And in the age of social media, people are gonna talk about that. And I understand that, I would be angry too. So you turn around and you take a, you know, you take a deep breath and you redo that order and you ship it to them and it's all on your own nickel. You take the loss. Yeah. yeah. And when you're in the meat business, you know, those are, those nickels are precious. This is not a high markup business. You know, the way you make money in this business is volume and that's it. Let's talk about some of the other things that mm-hmm. you have here at Mr. Brisket. Well, first off, if you're not familiar with Mr. Brisket, you can go to mrbrisket.com, go under shop and you can basically see everything. You can place an order. Uh, you can come in and pick it up. It's a great reason to head over to 2156 South Taylor Road in Cleveland Heights. It's really close to the, I think we're really close to the high school. Am I, is that right behind me there? No, the high, yeah, the high school is due west. Due west. Down Cedar Road. All right, there we go. Quarter so, mile. Quarter mile away. If you know where the high school is, then you're pretty close. It is a destination place, but additionally to meats and um, different custom cuts and things that you can order. You also do a lot of catering and some special events. And right now I'm staring at uh, your specials board and it says Wagyu cheesesteak. Yeah. And that sounds amazing. So you've obviously got uh, sandwiches and things that people can walk in, order. Tell me how that works. Well, they walk in and order them. (laughs) Uh, You're actually bringing, I mean, yes, I get, we, we sell sandwiches every day that we're open. Um, it's time consuming. They're really good sandwiches. You know, we have corned beef brisket, pastrami, and then we've added some other things. I have a guy who works for me who is a trained chef, and he's really um, sort of picked that up. As far as the catering goes, when I hired Aaron, Aaron was able to add a, uh, a barbecue component, so we're now doing a lot of uh, brisket burn ends and smoked brisket and pulled pork and ribs for people. Um, we're in fact going to be doing an event at the Wine Spot involving barbecue on Thursday, September seventh at six thirty. Um, wine Spots on Lee Road in Cleveland Heights, great wine. Love the Wine Spot, ever, and rightfully so. Adam Fleischer is a genius. Um, well, that's a strong word. Adam, you're a good guy. You know, let's not call you a genius. Sorry, you're a sharp guy though. You're. I'm going to believe that he's listening and that he's going to love that compliment. You know, in terms. Holidays, I do a lot of prepared foods for a lot of people. We've got Rosh Hashanah coming up. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get, you know, barraged with people for looking for pans of brisket, chicken soup, things of this nature. Um, again, it's, it's sort of how you evolve the business. Um, as I mentioned, Aaron added the barbecue component. And, you know, what he's also been able to add is having a barbecue expert on hand. So, you know, people call me up and they used to want to ask me questions about smoking briskets, you know, and I would sort of... Uh, say, well, what do you think? And then whatever they said, I said, yeah, that sounds right. Well, now I have Aaron to actually add expertise to the answer and and give some finesse. And I think you have a pretty big anniversary next year and some special things that you're going to do around it. Next year is going to be the 50th anniversary of Mr. Brisket. We've done some events over the last few years. We've we've run steak competitions, and we've uh, Aaron has put on barbecue classes. 
and we are planning to do something in Cleveland. It's, we're still finalizing details, but we, we have been told by people, if you do it in Cleveland, we'll talk about it, as opposed to us doing the state competition in Canton. So we're looking to do something big in Cleveland. So they, you know, we'll let you know more when we, uh, in the near future. I love it. Well, you're a good team, and every time I come in here, I feel like I've learned something. I, I love that it comes wrapped in the white paper. I get it home. It feels like something special. To me, it's a craft product that I know, um, you know, people I trust have touched it, have prepared it, and I'm really happy to, you know, serve it, not just to myself, but to people that I might be uh, cooking for. Hank, uh, thanks so much for talking meat with me today. I I guess now I better pick up something for dinner. I mean, I'm here. I know you're not open today, but I might have to make you give me some hamburgers or something. Um, And, um, you know, again, if you're listening and you are uh, a meat eater, this is the place to be and worth a drive from wherever you are, mrbrisket.com. Hank, thanks so much for being on the CLE Foodcast. The CLE Foodcast is a project of Fork and the Road Productions, and my sound engineer is Bill Connors. The CLE Foodcast is supported by Chef Douglas Katz and the Katz Group of Restaurants. Hey, do you love good food, football, and giving back? Make sure you check out Taste of the Browns, the Greater Cleveland Food Bank's fall fundraiser at Cleveland Brown Stadium. This year, it's on October 2nd. Join current players and alumni for a night of exceptional cuisine, cocktails, entertainment, and more. And this year, 2023 Hall of Fame and Shriney Joe Thomas, Pro Bowl guard Joel Batonio, and Cleveland's hottest chef Rocco Whalen are working behind the scenes to make this event memorable for all guests. Tickets are available right now at greaterclevelandfoodbank.org slash taste. Follow my social media for more food adventures and recommendations on things to eat, do, and places to go. And be sure to share a podcast or two with a friend. Until next time, stay hungry, be kind, and always, always set a bigger table.